0: You're listening to Irish Radio Canada at home and abroad. And in May, there was the inaugural famine walk from Strokestown along the banks of the canal to Dublin. And a little bit earlier, some members of a group of people from Strokestown came and visited here in Ottawa and other parts of Canada. So on Thursday, May 30th, the group of walkers, which included Carolyn Callery and Mark McGowan, as well as uh, singer-songwriter Decton O'Rourke and others, they set out and they arrived uh, from Stroketown at the Jeannie Johnson famine ship which is on the north shore of the River Liffey in Dublin. And again if you are ever in Dublin certainly go down along the, <coughs> the banks of the Liffey and you'll find the uh, Jeannie Johnson and the wonderful sculptors representing the famine there. Uh, so Carolyn, thanks a million for taking the time. Not at all. I'm delighted to ask them. And I'm looking forward to. <coughs> excuse me. I'm looking forward to hearing about the walk um, and how it went and the impact that you were able to achieve as a result of that. So you set out from Strokestown, uh, around the 23rd or thereabouts of May.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and maybe I'll give you a quick brief on the background to the walk. Um, uh, I work with the National Irish Famine Museum at Strogstown Park in County Westcommon uh, the Famine Museum has been opened there for almost 30 years uh, and, and three or four years ago we found this document in the archive the archive is possibly the most renowned famine archive in the world and, and really keeps, it's a real gem it keeps giving us uh, giving us papers and, and documents that, that really are very deep and meaningful and in 2013 we found this document that was a ship list and with the ship emigration list uh, drawn up by Dennis Mahan and 1,490 people that had taken, uh, been sent on four ships of an assisted emigration scheme. This was effectively 280 odd families. So we were literally handed back from over 170 years ago uh, the names of these families. Um, And We were very moved by this to see that they had almost been lost to history. Um, And then we began to wonder about their journey, uh, you know, what happened to them, their fate. We knew they all went to Canada on four ships. And part of that, I suppose, pondering was on their journey uh, from Stokestown to Dublin. So as we began to research a and, little, and this is an area where there's very sketchy details, uh, but we, we learned that they walked from Strokestown to Tundra, uh, which is about 20 kilometres, and then from Tundra, the whole length of the Royal Canal, a direct path uh, to Dublin, which ends up on the Liffey, just a few hundred metres from where the Jimmy Johnson is actually situated at the moment. Um, in 2015 we actually did a uh, just a small group of five of us did the walk uh, and then uh, I suppose we, we got a whole lot of attention both at, at national and international level and we were quite surprised by that and very quickly Waterways Ireland who operate the canal uh, kind of sat down with us and said look would you consider uh, you know turning this into a, I suppose a kind of a pilgrimage walk or something that, that could be there for people to do at any time. So we re-enacted the walk again in 2017 uh, with the aim of in 2019 actually having it accredited by Sports Ireland as a national trail um, and doing the walk as a re-enactment and then a launch. So when we set out from Stokestown this time uh, it was absolutely wonderful that when we arrived in Dublin it was for the launch of a national salmon way trail uh, which is now fully developed uh, and can be walked at any time by anybody in the memory of our missing 1490 but that is just a microcosm of the hundreds of thousands of Irish who walked similar paths to ships very ill-fated ships unfortunately and crossed the sea to North America
0: Interesting that you talk about those four ships because as you would know recently there was a commemorative ceremony in the Bay to uh, the Cavanagh fam- the uh, from the Carricks, uh, one of the ah, ships that okay. sailed, sailed from Sligo so um, you know this ships sailing at that time were f- sailing from all around of I- Ireland and people were doing that famine walk of one sort or another but when you talk about the walk that you did how over how many days between Strokestown and Dublin? Yes
1: yeah, so we did the walk over six days and um, and, and we don't know exactly how long it would have taken our people. We do have them in the newspapers in Dublin, and actually in Canada. Uh, speaking of them on the keys in Dublin, so we know they arrived on the 28th of May. So we always do it around that week. And um, again, it, it's a project that you know passes through so many spaces. The west of Ireland obviously was more affected than say the the east of Ireland. So we've worked very closely with the heritage officers in each of the council areas that we pass through, with the local historians groups, and we've gathered the most amazing stories and, and try to rebuild and reimagine the space as our 1490 passed through it. Uh, so, for example, we know that in Mullingar there's a, there's, a, uh, there's a bohrin, which means small road, in Irish uh, called Piper's Bohrein and um, there was Piper Kearney there used to come out and sit at the end of the Bohrein and play the Illum Pipes for the famine immigrants as they walked as as a kind of a final farewell. So there's beautiful bits of histories and stories along the way Um, and again with the archaeology we know the buildings that were there. I mean the Royal Canal was like the motorway of a day in 1847. It's very beautiful and very peaceful now but it would have been hectic and crazy with the boats and the mills and it would have been you know, canals full, or barges full of corn on the canal with armed escorts and so it would have been a very different space um, and we reimagined this and, and as you go along the full six-day trail uh, there are 30 pairs of little children's bronze shoes and at each of those pairs of bronze shoes you can access a little story of what that space was like in 1847 for our people.
0: Right, now I noticed that uh, you were doing 20 kilometres, 32, 27, <coughs> varying amounts. So, along the path, <coughs> if somebody were to reenact or want to walk, is there accommodation now available in the likes of Abbey Shrewl? I, Mullingar, I know there'd be no problem. Then you got to Longwood. Um, so, along the route, if someone were to consider this a Camino, uh, what would their yeah. opportunities be?
1: Yeah, so the, so the, well, the Abishru is a wonderful, um a wonderful inn, and Abishru, which, which was, would have been there nearly at the time, but in a different building format. Uh, yeah, so we're, we're currently just developing, uh, packages. And and there'll be varying packages. Some people, you know, it'll be between 14 to 20 kilometres a day. Um, And and with the Royal Canal Tours, uh, over the next number of months, we will be putting together different packages, walking, cycling, some, you know, and a varying day length uh, so that there will be options there for people. And, of course, you can dip in and do a couple of days, you know, um, access it in, in in different ways. So we're we're just working on that now. That we've actually fully launched the walk, and that we have our accreditation. So that's very much the next stage. So by next by next year, and by by late autumn, all of those packages will be designed and will be up on the National Famine Way website.
0: Of course, they, it's important to mention how, it, as you said, the canals were the highway of the time. So <clears throat> on each side of the canal, you had a path, and this was where the horses pulled the barges along and that would be what you're walking on.
1: Absolutely and I mean a, a really busy space when you look at the, the history of the canal and of course with horses you get all the, all the uh, usual excretions so I'm sure the paths were had a particular odour and a particular avoidance of, of this. Um, and there would have been, you know, people jumping. There was no toiletry facilities on the barges, so people were regularly jumping on shore because it was quite a trip from Dublin. Um, they say that there was a lot of drunkenness by the by the captains of the barges. Uh, so really, a, you know, a very hectic environment. Uh, and, and and we reimagine for our people, and we do it actually through the eyes of of twelve year old Daniel Ty. So at each space, along with a lot of historical knowledge, the first thing you get is is what Daniel Tice saw in this space as he passed through um, and the sounds, like, there were textile mills that have a very particular smell. So we've tried to recreate it in, with as many of the senses as uh, possible. Um, for example, when they reach Mullingar, the, the railways are being put down from, from the Hilla down to Mullingar. And we know there's 2,800 men working on that the week that they passed through in May in 1847. So even the noise of that, the clanging of that, and um, I mean, our people would have been seeing things that they'd never seen or imagined. As they got closer to Dublin, they'd have seen their first steam engine again—something totally out of their, of, of their imagination—having come from the side of a mountain uh, in Strokestown.
0: They would also have seen people who were probably in better health than they were.
1: Absolutely, because as, as you reach Mullingar, really the, 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 the level of the poverty changes because you have the work on the on the. Um, on the railways, but then you have a lot of encampment, uh, kind of internal refugees as well, people flocking there and just living on the banks of the canal in mud huts, hoping to get some of the work. Uh, so there would have been a huge um, emigration into the Mullingar area and forward at that at the time, with people desperately trying to see the West, not just, you know, with with tickets for ships, but trying to get work uh, further further east as they went.
0: So, Caroline, you mentioned that the documents that you found gave you the list of names. So many of those names would have survived and there would be families of those people, of their descendants in and around Strokestown and Roscommon now.
1: Um, Yeah, so the names are all very familiar to us. We would still have people of each of these kind of 280 odd surnames uh, living in the area the sad thing is that many of the families that went have, have been totally disconnected from us and um, i suppose when you go as a family unit uh the, the reasons for writing back as opposed to a son going, you get all the letters you get the connections but when when the families and our families were moved as you know mother father children all went uh, and then their houses were, were knocked to the ground and um, So I suppose that is actually the next phase of our project and we may look to you to work with on that one as well. Um, We have the glass wall at Strokestown and we are twinned with Grosse Eel, with with the park in Grosse Eel. And the glass wall in Strokestown actually mirrors in style and in font uh, the glass wall on Grosse Eel that has the 5,000 names. And we know some of those 5,000 names are the names of some of our 1490. Um, And that's actually the starting point of the National Salmon Way is at glass wall at Stokestown Park uh, Professor Mark McGowan of the University of Toronto a wonderful friend of Stokestown Park and, and a, joy, a joy to partner with on a number of projects uh, has spent a number of years working out uh, who survived who made the journey uh, you know where did they go to next so we've, we've gathered over the last three years a phenomenal database of uh, those that we know that survived those that we know that perished those that we're not sure about those that were orphaned and for quite over half of those families we know where they are in 1850 and sometimes in 1860 but really sadly we lose them then as they move on further. Uh, and we know that maybe 30 of the families moved down into the United States. So I suppose the next stage of the project for us as well is trying to reconnect with our missing 1490. Uh, we're only currently aware of two of those families. Um, so we know that's the Thai family from Lottinier outside Quebec, and then the Quinn brothers. But the Quinn brothers both joined the priesthood, so, so they don't have any descendants. And we are connected quite deeply with the descendants of the Thai family and it's through their story that we use uh, the little little Daniel Ty, uh, who was actually um, one of five children. His father died before he left Stokestown and his mother brought her younger brother, William, uh, with her, uh, I suppose, in an attempt to save their family. And we know that she succeeded in this attempt. But when the Naomi ship landed at Grosfield, she was dead her brother was dead, and three of her children were dead. Um, and subsequently, little Daniel was adopted uh, by the Colombs in Lopinier, uh, and Daniel inherited 168 of her farm there when he was 18. His little sister Catherine, uh, who was nine, uh, she died in her thirties of appendicitis and, and doesn't have any children. So the Thai family really are one of the few, one of the families that we actually have a connection with from that. But in saying that, Daniel Ty went on to have ten children, each of whom went on to have a, you know, seven to ten children. So there are over 500 descendants of Daniel Ty. So we know there are thousands of our people out there, and, and I suppose the next mission now that Mark McGowan has done this fantastic piece of work to establish a baseline uh, and all the knowledge that he's gathered is to do that call out. So we'll undoubtedly be looking for your support in that mm-hmm. into mm-hmm. the future. Indeed. Now, <coughs> Carolyn, <coughs> uh,
0: Strokestown would have been very much aware, and the, the area around Stokestown very much aware of the famine connection and even of Grosse Eel. As a result of this walk and as a result of opening it up, is it helping educate along the route of the history of the time?
1: Oh, absolutely. And I mean, I I think this is one of a kind of a a range of um, what we call outreach projects that have been developing at Stokestown over the last four or five years. Um, And this is where we're taking the history out from behind the walls of the museum and literally walking it through local, national and international spaces. And so this literally takes the story of the famine, of our people as a microcosm and walks it from Strokes Down through seven different counties all the way to the shores of the Liffey in Dublin. So it's it's making people... Locally, nationally, and internationally aware of the of the history and again about its lo- the specific history of its locality, because as we walk as a strokestrom group, as I said, what we are doing with the little bronze shoes which are getting huge attention uh, is that we're reimagining each of these spaces uh, for Everybody who passes through them. So, local people wandering on to them, it's not necessarily people that are interested in history, can just all of a sudden stumble on the shoes and, and, and kind of get to touch with this part of their history again.
0: The um, week started out, I know, with the Canadian Wake. Um, yes. Tell me.
1: Yeah. More traditionally called an American Wake in Ireland. Uh, but because all our people uh, went to Canada and it was actually in conversation with Robert Kearns of the, of the uh, Ireland Toronto Foundation um, when we said well if all our people went to Canada it should be called the Canadian wake so, so we, we call it the Canadian wake um, everybody in Ireland would know um, that an American wake or a Canadian wake uh, would be if, if you were leaving in 1847 this was the last time you were going to see those members of your family. That you were highly unlikely to ever lay eyes on them again. So it was a death of sorts. Um, and so we would all know in Ireland about, uh, about these wakes, where for the night before, there was all music and dance, and it was like a normal wake, a waking of the dead, um, before these people left their lives for, forever.
0: And, of course, the um, emotion... Around something like that, for the event that you had, um, it's impossible to imagine what it would have been like in reality. But at the same time, it helps create that atmosphere.
1: Yeah, and, and, and interestingly mm-hmm. enough, actually, on the night we had the Canadian wake in and stroke stand, that week, we had we had a family um, home from Canada, and uh, their their people had left in the eighteen seventies. Uh, and they had reconnected in the 1980s again after after kind of, whatever, almost 100 years of of not having been connected. Um, And one of the women, it was her 75th birthday, so she had about 20 members of her family home to celebrate, and they all came and attended the Canadian Wake, which was absolutely beautiful.
0: So you say you followed the story of Daniel Taya, 12-year-old. I know you were in costume, so was this walk uh, being recorded and is it turn going to turn into a form of a documentary?
1: Well that's highly likely yes we we did a lot of recording on the twenty seventeen walk and again on this walk, and each of our each of our walkers in costume carried uh, walked in the in the footsteps of a particular family and knew the story insofar of as of all the knowledge we had for each of those families um yes, there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of recording done along the route each day uh, and they actually went out on a lot of those went out on, on social media and we had tens of thousands of hits for those. A lot of them are on the National Famine Way website um, and that's worth looking up. There's a wealth of little videos and information on the different days and, and it's, it's lovely to see all the historical knowledge that, that is gathered there.
0: Given that you were in costume, as a personal experience, how did you find the walk under those circumstances? Because modern day we would put on light shorts and t-shirts and whatever. But in full costume, that must have been a challenge, also.
1: Yeah, and the costume also hurts you, I suppose, to, to times past and to the reality. And um, it's not easy. I mean, all of our all of our core group of walkers would be used to walking, and um, and still, we found that by day three or day four, we had a number of people with absolutely blistered feet, and um, and that must have been the case at the time as well. Uh, and I'm sure they walked longer days because bailiff Robinson would have been ushering them on quite strongly.
0: Um,
1: and, and as you felt the tweaks in your muscles or as you felt tired towards the end of a 30-kilometre day, I was walking in the footsteps of Mary Ty and her five children. And It was it was just a stark reminder to think, you know, of, of what pain they had. And I didn't have five children to be gathering or minding around me or ushering on or trying to keep safe. And... Um, so it, it was, it was, we all felt very much, I suppose, for, for the added pain and grief um, that, that they would have carried with them as well.
0: So you mentioned that you had the wake and then you um, travelled, you were in the US for a summer school. There's an awareness and uh, you are being invited to a variety of places to share the message. Tell us a little about how that has been going.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we, we have a very good partnership with Quinnipiac University in Connecticut and Professor Christine Kennedy, possibly one of the highest acknowledged experts on the Great Irish Famine. Um, and if for anyone who's interested or you should look up Professor Christine Kennedy's books. And um, so we've worked with, with Christine over a number of years, uh, the same way as we've worked with the University of Toronto, two very important partnerships to us. So we have the Irish Famine Summer School. So the Irish Famine Summer School runs uh, in Stropstown Park one year and in uh, Quinnipiac University. The, the following year it alternates each year. And um, so this year it, in June it was in uh, Quinnipiac University. And really evocatively as part of our partnership, uh, Christine Keneally uh, was actually on the walk in Ireland, but they had a partner walk on the Sunday that we were walking and that was a 5k walk along the banks of the canal in in hamden where Quinnipiac is in 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 connecticut uh, and of course the the pathos of that is that many of our famine Irish that was built in the 1850s and would have been built by many of many of the famine Irish who had fled from here. So that was in memory of of the famine Irish emigrants. And Connaught University have now um, actually ordered a pair of bronze shoes to be put up on the canal there. And um, so I think that's that's really beautiful and, and and a lovely idea. And we'd maybe hope that as as this develops that there would be many sister walks uh, as we as we walk each year.
0: So, Caroline, we should give coordinates of various websites and where people can get more information and if there is a recommendation on the time of year that it is better to do this walk, while May would be the commemorative time um any time of the year effectively in Ireland is a good time to walk
1: yeah, absolutely you can never gauge the weather here um, so I would say any time from March to the end of September. Um, you know, you have pretty ideal walking conditions. Uh, even if it's even if it's raining, it's generally only drizzly. We, you know, we don't get crazy heavy rain. I know we, we walked, during the days we walked, there was one day that it kind of rained quite a bit, but that was just two showers, and we just stood in out of the showers. Um, so, I mean, any time from, from March, I would say, to the end of September. And uh, the, the websites to watch out for are um, the National Salmon Way website, and the Strokestown Park website so the Strokestown Park is just www.strokestownpark.ie and you can see Strokestown Park the famine museum and then there's also a section on the National Famine Way there or in the www.nationalfamineway.ie has all of the coverage of the of the different sections of the walk and the videos of us walking in costume and and all of the connected stories there and um, of interest as well on the Structon, on the Stuxan, uh, website may be the Famine Summer School for 2020, which is June 11th to 14th, and that will be in Structon Park. It's in Stuxan this year, and um, with a huge range of expert lectures and kind of all sorts of interesting extra activities, theatre, and um, so we'll be doing a bit of the Famine Way, uh, and that, and that, so that the information on that will be on the Structon Park website as well.
0: And um, We need to keep an eye on this side for what Mark McGowan will be looking for, and we'll be chatting with Mark later on yeah. in the show, so we'll get Mark to give us an idea of where his head is at and what he hopes to achieve.
1: Yeah. And I suppose I should also mention very briefly the Great Famine Voices Roadshow, uh, which was in Canada this year. Uh, we, we, we cover a different area each year. We did Ottawa, Kingston and Quebec uh, in Canada this year. And we did Montreal and Toronto last year. And that's an outreach program where Mark Morgan is involved in as well, uh, where we gather stories from descendants. Just a roadshow where people are invited to come along and tell us the story of their fam- family's emigration in the in the 1800s.
0: And that the recordings from that are some of those available, or will they be coming available?
1: Yeah, they will be. be they will be be becoming available um, probably in, in mid August. So the website for that, and it's a wonderful website, is www.greatfaminevoices.ie. Uh, and along the top, you'll see the tabs there. We, we go, we've been around a number of cities in North America, New York, Boston, Philadelphia, uh, and then you, you'll see, you'll get the, the Toronto and Montreal are already live from last year. And then uh, added this year will be the Ottawa, Kingston and Quebec in the coming weeks. So, and that is just little short recordings of families telling us uh, of, of their, their stories and the family folklore that has passed down, which is so important for us to gather. Um, and I suppose even through this program, we will we will be hoping maybe to find some of our some of our missing
0: 1490. Indeed, Well Caroline Carly uh, it's a it's It's been fantastic chatting, and uh, I'm looking forward to visiting Strokes Town again. The last time I was there was actually 2007.
1: Okay, well, a, lot, a lot has happened since then, Austin, so you're more than welcome back any time and you can, you can bring the microphone with you. We will do. We should be there in
0: August and I look forward to maybe connecting them. Uh,
1: Ah, fantastic.